0: what's up everybody welcome to the anime podcast of some sort i'm david majors nobody really calls me djm anymore but i know a lot of people call my co-host a a bunch of different names so (laughs) i'm gonna let him tell you i'm gonna let him tell you what he wants to be called so so jack what are you going by these days
1: Oh, boy, what am I not going by? Just about anything, you can call me whatever you like, call me anything except for late to dinner. Uh, you know, Jack D, Tyler D, Count Jack Noir, Jack in the Box, Jack in the Crack, Rock Behind the Wheel, Sassy Cup, Lovable Container Boys, uh, I think that one of those last ones was uh, your responsibility, but it is good to be here. We're having a little bit of a spooky time, I think. So, you know, everybody just sit back and relax and let us regale you with uh, the spooky tales of old cranky anime men and so on and so forth, because we got lots to talk about.
0: Yes, we do. We've got anime stuff we've got video game stuff we've got media stuff because this is the anime podcast dot 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 of some sort but i'm gonna start off with the the old tried and true i actually watched some anime jack <gasps> and it was I, I'm, I'm gonna even <laughs> i'm gonna go one further it was in a public place
1: oh no Oh no! You'll never be invited back. Gasp. I'm gonna go even.
0: I'm gonna go even further. It was a packed theater of me and about oh! two hundred of my fi- of my closest friends.
1: That's that's incredible. And the, that had to have been something cl- like, uh, like Attack on Titan, Ball Z, uh, one half Yasha. Sorry, I couldn't think of a bunch of mainstream animes. What did you see, well, David? Well, it wasn't
0: that this time, but the anime club that I frequently go to, uh, we went to see A Silent Voice at the Maple Theater in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And oh. I have to say that, one, it was great being in a theater to see an anime with subtitles and, and all of that business. And also, it was great being there with a bunch of other enthusiastic anime fans, especially right before the, the big event that's coming up here in, in Metro Detroit. The movie itself was terrific. Uh, it was a story of a young man and a girl who comes to a new school, and she also happens to be deaf.
1: It's a really fantastic story. It it, it won It is a uh, fantastic story. The manga story won I think the Rising Stars Manga Amateur Competition. I can't quite remember um what the exact award was, but it it was award-winning and it absolutely is uh, no surprise why when you you look at the story regardless of uh what medium you're finding it in. So how was the I movie? Highly-
0: I do believe the movie should be seen if you have the opportunity to do so. The movie itself was great. Uh, It told a great story from beginning to end. We see conflict. We see character growth. We see everything you would mostly want in a movie that isn't like a a screwball, nonsensical romp from the 80s. It, It was really... A fantastic story from start to finish, and uh, I know a few friends of mine left feeling very deeply moved and deeply affected by it uh, because of kids being bullied, uh, having a disability, and just on and on from there. I thought it was very, very well done, and I'm happy to have seen it. I'm happy to have seen it with friends. I'm happy to have seen it with people that I know that will be at Yomacon coming up soon. And once again, Jack, I know I've mentioned it already, but Yomacon, the big anime convention here in Detroit, is nigh. By the time you're listening to this podcast, I will be packing and driving uh, about 20 minutes down Southfield Freeway to downtown Detroit for Yamacon 2017 and the hype is real it's very very real oh, and I'm excited Jack I I I guess I've been to countless other conventions at this point uh, all over the United States and everywhere else in between but I I think you can understand this when it is a large convention that is right here in your neck of the woods uh l- like I've said this this convention is in Detroit the city that I was born in the city that I've lived just about half of my life in or or, or nearly my entire life in the metro Detroit area when it is a convention that is reasonably well sized it's about 25,000 and it's right there in your hometown it's just it just feels special it feels like home with friends that you know and can interact with here there in the convention out of the convention and worst case scenario if something really terrible happens you don't have to go far to go home so i'm really excited and and especially because My first convention was Yomacon. It was right after I got out of the Air Force. Uh, It was 2008. Uh, When I got out in 2007, one of the first things I had on my bucket list of freedom was to go to an anime con. And I found it, and I've been going ever since. And I've made friends. I've probably made some enemies. I've hosted (laughs) panels. I've, I've done live streams. I've gotten into all sorts of good and bad bad shenanigans and this is my hometown convention right here right now uh, in about four or five days is probably the one event and the one place and one time where i feel more at home and more as myself than anywhere i've ever been and i'm excited
1: Well, here's the here's the real question. You say you've gotten quite a lot of things, friends, enemies, but will you get drunk? That's the real question. That's the million dollar question.
0: Will I get drunk? There's a really good chance.
1: There's a distinct possibility.
0: Definitely, maybe. I will say definitely, maybe. whether that ends up being seen on the intertubes, we shall see. But I don't think I will be driving once we get to the hotel downtown. So I'm going to go ahead and say to the question of if I'm getting drunk, definitely maybe. But Jackson, yes. you yourself had some adventures recently, haven't you?
1: Oh, I surely did. Um, um You who have been uh, playing the home game uh. I've been uh, drawing every single day, comic page in its entirety, from the rough to the line art to the shading for Inktober, and this is a new thing for me because comics is hard. Comics is hard. You know, we're coming up to the end here, the home stretch. Someone died, look it up, and uh, I, you know, it's been a really visceral experience for me. But David, I would go to work every single single day you know in the evening start delivering pizza probably not leave until you know midnight and I'm back home and in my bed and I can't close my eyes cuz you know what I got to do I got to turn on a podcast I got to you know put some background noise on and just sit down and finish the damn thing for the upcoming day or the the actual day if you want to be technical about it and it was killing me it was absolutely killing me. I needed a physical break for my body. So well, I, when I got paid this last week, I thought to myself, I got to do something really special because I'm not going to be able to celebrate on the day of uh, All Hallows' Eve. I'm going to have to work again because they want us to dress up, and they know that I'm going to dress up for for damn sure. And I said, I got to go somewhere where I can celebrate. And something pretty nearby me is the beautiful city frisco san francisco and i had a fantastic uh just one crazy day off and you know back at it i'm still drawing but i feel ultimately refreshed except for my feet and i'm just gonna walk you through what my day was it wasn't a lot of things it was just a couple of little uh uh, pub crawls that i made by myself all that kind of stuff and then a nice big fancy climax but i started off i uh got myself some event parking because i I paid for uh, my tickets ahead of time, and uh, there was an area near the San Francisco pier where I could park, and so that was taken care of. So, so I just walked everywhere else. I didn't really stay too uh, far away from where I knew I would end up in the evening. I just kind of wandered around, took in the sights. People took in my sights because I was dressed up because I wanted to show off my costume to uh, to an unsuspecting public, and I was dressed up as Cuphead as I made. Ah. And those are pictures are also up on Twitter of that. Um, And uh, I I had a fantastic time. There were amazing shops and, and people and places to be. And meanwhile, while I'm just blasting a bunch of ragtime in my ears the whole time. And David, I don't know if, if you get this kind of experience a lot, but um, when it comes to the environment that I, I spend my time in, uh, I get I'm very sensitive to the kind of atmosphere that it it gives off. And um, where I currently live in, uh, you know, kind of the middle of uh, the capital in Frisco, it gets very orange, very dead, very dry. And you can kind of feel that that kind of. Sense of it, there's death in the air, you know. It's very dry and very uh, dismal. And I thought to myself, well, if I go in, uh, you know, get like the nice nightlife, you know, like it's early afternoon in Frisco, maybe it'll be kind of a similar atmosphere. But I go in, and you know, I think the music and you know my own little headspace and everything might have also been to blame. But the vintage buildings and the kind of uh, odd hospitality that folks will have when you're uh, you're very open kind of uh it it had kind of that old uh that old-fashioned atmosphere so it was a very very surprising experience so i stopped by a few places i stopped by um this place called tony's and mimi's and it's uh right by another restaurant called tony's really nice hole in the wall i stopped in there it was a really lovely bar i had a lovely delicious moscow mule very refreshing i'm walking out there's uh, an accordionist and a uh, guitarist just uh, just strumming at it. Some excellent live music on the streets. That's something you get in Frisco a lot. And it was starting to get dark and I uh, had to rest my feet again. And I stopped by this place. I can't recommend this place enough. If you're ever in San Francisco, Jack's Travel Tips, go to the old ship saloon because that was the best meal i ever had and it didn't cost me more than $20 i got a drink i got a giant bowl of chicken and av- avocados and uh, nacho chips and delicious sauces and it was huge and they gave me a giant spoon and everybody was friendly and dressed up and the bar owner was a Dressed up as Bojack Horseman with the rubber head and everything, and it was a great, a really great, uh, nice, friendly, cozy experience. It's literally just a bar, uh, with a nice island in the inside for uh, the the barkeep, and then just a couple of t- tables. It, it's really, really small, but it's really lovely, and I had a really nice drink there too. Kind of a twist on a bloody Mary with a little uh fishy taste because of you know it's a the old ship. The old ship saloon was fantastic, but then the the crown of the night was coming. So I, I make my way back down uh and I I make my way to the San Francisco Bell and um on the pier, on the ferries and everything, they've got a couple of really fancy cruise ships for tourists to go on. But the San Francisco Bell, David, is the largest. It's got three really nice floors for whatever kind of entertainment you choose. And I bought my ticket the night before. I really I really treat yourself kind of day. And uh, I booked myself for a four-hour cruise around Alcatraz and uh, past all the, the ports and the piers at San Francisco, Angel Island, for the San Francisco Bell for a party that they simply called the Speakeasy. And they encouraged people with bootlegger, uh, flapper, or uh, other kinds of uh, 1920s it, it the, prohibition era style It had that style
0: roaring costume. 20s prohibition era aesthetic
1: going on? It certainly did. And, uh, you know, after after maybe a couple more cocktails, I think I had a gin and Red Bull, which was com- entirely new to me. That's not usually my drink of choice. I couldn't stop thinking, I'm on a fucking buck. <laughs> three DJs, three floors, I've got beautiful pictures, really nice time, Charleston, my goddamn guts out, a couple really great, excellent dancers, uh, I think office, Officer Ed Banger was was a dancing partner at one point, and just a, a, and a couple people did recognize my costume and were very impressed by it, and um, others were curious because, you know, they likened it to something like, this looks like Felix the Cat, and thank God I didn't have to smack anybody for thinking I was Mickey emails because that would have really pissed me off but uh worst case they could have been coming down worst case
0: jack they could have been from disney and giving you a cease and desist
1: exactly (laughs) but uh the people who didn't know i i almost got a little bit of deja vu david is uh back in the day when i when uh jojo's bizarre adventure started as a very big mainstream popular series and i was telling some people about it and got more than 10 people to uh at least dip their toes in and give it a walk. And now it looks like the same thing's happening with Cuphead. All different kinds of people were asking me questions about it, and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I never had a nicer time. It was a really fantastic day in the city, and I can't recommend Old Ship Saloon enough because, you know, it's a small place. A lot of, uh, a lot of business owners looked like they were in there, so it's not very touristy, but uh, I'd I'd like that to change at least for the fact that they, they really do deserve much more service because they were a really fantastic meal and a really nice atmosphere. Really great people there. Can't stress that enough. So it was a really, really great time. So that I definitely is want to fantastic.
0: That, that really is fantastic. Uh, like the weekend that I recently had in Chicago, uh, I'm glad San Francisco was a really good time for you. Also... You're the first person from California that I've ever heard use the name Frisco. I've always heard people say that they don't like that name.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just uh I'm just saying something to sound smart cuz I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I got to well, I got to make sure that I sound like I know what I'm talking about.
0: That that's It's cuz I'm not- <laughs> does anyone really think that i'm that smart come on let's be honest here uh, it,
1: it, it's it's important to me to sound like i'm uh, very much not of that area but i i do uh i do visit because i don't want to lie to somebody and go oh i'm from san francisco i don't know i've got this weird thing about um you know, treating myself as a tourist or um as a as a resident, like I don't I don't like to lean too hard one way or another. I like to be familiar, but not I, I try really hard to avoid being that cat from Cats Don't Dance from Tacoma. It, and he just shows up and is just wow at every single thing that showed up.
0: I've had friends uh, from other parts of Michigan, when I take them into the city of Detroit or some of the the larger suburban cities, like where where I'm currently residing, Southfield, which most people call North Detroit. Unlike the Journey song, there is no South Detroit, but where I live now, Southfield is North Detroit. But I've had friends that are either coming to Yomacon from other parts of Michigan or what have you, or even other parts of the country where they'll come to Detroit and they'll say, wow, (laughs) Detroit really is a nice place. It's not a war zone.
1: Wow. Come on, people. Come on. Come on.
0: over the weekend, Jack, while I was in Chicago for Chikara, uh, and uh in south bend indiana for seeing my friends there uh, in south bend and seeing their thing for the rocky horror picture show uh while i was in chicago i made sure to tweet every couple of hours to let everyone know hey everybody i'm in chicago i'm not dead <laughs> just That's to important. remind everyone Because, you know like detroit chicago is apparently a war zone it's not it's neither so, one of them. Are
1: I've never been, and I know that for a fact. And the uh, the the fact is because you're still alive. Like I, I am, said, like and, you said. And I've <laughs> so, I've been through
0: a lot. I've been through a lot, but I'm still here.
1: Come on, people! Come on, people! That's all I can say yeah. about that.
0: And I'm glad you had a great time in San Francisco. I enjoyed my previous weekend in Chicago. I'm getting ready for Yomicon and. I'm feeling good, but Jack, we we gotta bring things down a little bit because there is some actual news from the the whole Japanimation space, and of course, who all else right, is that right news me. about? The only thing in anime that most mainstream people care about, Hayao Miyazaki. We we uh, have to talk about time. him one more. He he announced the the title of his upcoming movie.
1: I thought he uh, already had his is... last movie.
0: Nope, he's back again.
1: He's oh, come back. On. This is, I think I Return made this joke before, but <laughs> Miyazaki... <all the> <laughs> Miyazaki is that grizzled old cop who's like two weeks from retirement every single time you see him. I think I made that joke before, but it stands repeating. Come on. And
0: what's great is that his contemporary, Yoshiyuki Tomino, the creator and director of Mobile Suit Gundam, the creator of the Gund- Gundam franchise, he recently actually gave the rights to Mobile Suit Gundam over to Sunrise. And he has said, I'm fine with leaving it in the hands of the next generation. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm ready to move on. Miyazaki, on the other hand, <laughs> is back on his bullshit. Mm. His new movie will be called, tra- roughly translated, How Do You Live?
1: Is, is he asking himself this question? I, is, he, is he okay? We gotta send somebody down there. Make sure he's alright, man. This, this is, well, this is
0: apparently, th- this movie is going to at least possibly be based on a children's book uh, from the 1930s uh, that was written by a gentleman named Genzaburo Yoshino, who was writing books and novels, and to avoid being censored by the Japanese imperial government pre-World War II, he wrote them as children's books. So here was this young writer and author writing basically about communism and socialism and marxist philosophies in children's books you know for kids because literally for the kids that that's how he did it uh, to kids. avoid to avoid the imperial government of japan from taking him away for the and kids. this story how do you live tells the story Of a young boy who begins to start thinking for himself, and thinking independently. Which, back in Japan in the 1930s, was probably not too well looked at.
1: Oh yeah, did you ever read Battle Royale? Because the beginning's just like, I like Bruce Springsteen! (gasps) That's it. That's all it is. (laughs) That's that book. Well, there's more to it, but... Uh, Please continue this is so he's thinking for himself that is absolutely irrational of scandalous
0: Yes, uh, Miyazaki is saying in an interview, he actually d- decided to speak. The film is about how the particular book featured prominently in, in his life. Uh, so I guess it's going to be about someone who was inspired by this book. And he's saying it will take three to four years to complete. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that this is not going to end. He's saying it will. He hopes to finish it by 2020. And it might not be be out until 2021
1: so it's nothing gonna die else by then i don't mean to be bleak but i think he's gonna be dead
0: i i'm glad you said it not me but <laughs> it, it, at least we know we won't have to hear from him again because we know he's working
1: yeah he's actually I, I working think, on something i honestly think that this might be what miyazaki is trying to do is just to keep himself in work i think he got this idea in his my head long ago and that the, the the i'm done this is my last movie has always been kind of a ruse and that he's just he's wanted for years to work on a movie and then halfway through he kicks the bucket and that everybody is very sad and they take him seriously again i mean people i think will continue to you know look to him as uh as visual inspiration and think that his movies are just charming the pants off of him and everything and that's perfectly fine and if he wants to continue that's totally fine as well but my issue is he's just so begrudging about everything he does like i guess i'll make another movie it feels like he's just dragging his feet but um
0: seems to be set on the idea that there's nothing else for him to do in life other than make films he's very curmudgeon. He, he's pro- He probably is going to do this until he's not with us anymore um he probably won't be looked at the same way satoshi Kon was because satoshi Kon no. died of an illness and he was in the middle of a project that at least to this day still has not seen the light of day
1: yes, i don't
0: you- know how this will turn out
1: you can damn well tell that um uh Miyazaki will make it evident that uh because I'm I'm pretty sure I I don't mean to you know be disrespectful because we'll be you know sad to to miss somebody who at the very least had a really great visionary uh prowess but you know just such a miserable attitude and everything like that but uh I have a feeling that when, when the time is coming, when he senses, uh, you know, that he's he's really just, you know, not physically cut out to, to work anymore. When he starts to feel, you know, uh, Father Time creeping up behind him, tapping him on the shoulder, I f- feel like uh, Miyazaki will find somebody to continue the project and still make it public. I think that they, they very much, uh, when you compare uh, Miyazaki and Ghibli Satoshi Kon, that you do have a fundamentally different attitude yeah i think Studio you have a very Ghibli, different Lil. attitude in um because as, i think as
0: it stands right now yeah right they're, now they're Miyazaki huge is 76 on the he's 76 right now so i think that a- the question of does he have three to four years left in him is valid
1: And and I I think that you're right. Studio Ghibli will absolutely like it's a product to them. They will they will put it out there regardless of what it takes, you know. Uh but I just I just wish he were a little bit more, you know. God damn it. Man, if you don't want to make these movies then like pay for my airfare. I'll go down there and take carry your damn movies for you. Jesus, you're making a fucking movie. That's a really have exciting and and very have rare grace. career opportunity. People Be fucking love grateful your work. you get to do that. People yeah, love you're, your you're work.
0: Have some grace.
1: Yeah, it, you know, say what you will about the about the man for sure. Like he's he seriously got some life issues, but people people have known his work for decades now. He has made himself. Known in you know an American culture that doesn't really understand a whole lot about Japanese media, he he's very visually you can you can tell when something is a Studio Ghibli film, and uh, his are you know among the the top uh, most well known. So come on man, come on, you can have a little bit more fun with it, especially if you know you're going to do this when you die. Like don't don't jerk us around with this anymore, is what I
0: and that is clear I, I think it's pretty clear that he wants to do this until he's no longer around so there's no reason to stop him but i just wish he would have a little more grace be a little mm-hmm. more appreciative of the fact that the world loves the things that he has created yeah and, Th- this and is i know that different. i know that a lot of art artists and creative types are often troubled and struggle with showing things like humility and grace but man you're you're well past your mad at the world artistic phase
1: yeah come on man this isn't your deviant art profile like you're not hidey ekyano you gotta you gotta be a little bit more have some dignity while you you know what do they say you gotta grow old gracefully well be grow older more gracefully Yoshiyuki Tomino, to his
0: credit, has done just that. So Miyazaki has no excuse.
1: It can be done. It, it, he really doesn't. But you know, I, I wish him luck. Like I said, it's an absolute uh incredible thing to to make a creative project come alive. I'm finally experiencing that firsthand, and uh I couldn't I couldn't possibly imagine uh, ever treating treating people around me like that like if someone was going hey so uh so jack you know you're 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 getting up there and you haven't you haven't made something in a while and i go oh well fine if that's the way you feel about it i guess i'll go and uh and draw in in my house and call my own hours and like come on there's so much that goes into being creative that is you know, a really, a really positive and excellent experience. I can't imagine what is going. And, and through the his thing head.
0: for me that always bothered me is how he looked at the people that appreciated his work. Mm-hmm. He, he, cr- he clearly it's has so a great deal miraculous. of problems with the people that really appreciate him. Like, I understand that is not right. people create think- things for themselves, but if you're putting it out there for the world to see and you get overwhelmingly positive feedback from all walks of life, you should be a little respectful of that.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I uh, you know what he at that that I'm remembering that that he's got like that this this whole big uh stigma with his fan base is reminding me, you know who else in kind of an anime uh Environment is really, really uh, tactless and disrespectful to his fans. The artist for the infamous web comic uh, Mega Tokyo. Do you really want to be like that Miyazaki? Do you want to have that same attitude as someone who barely knows how to draw on the degree of the how to draw manga book? I think you can up your game a little bit. Uh Miyazaki. Come on, we Miyazaki. We still have
0: to talk to him for a little bit longer, Jack. Just a little bit
1: longer. <laughs> uh, good luck. There are you, some good you things You crazy, crazy bastard. bastard. I,
0: yes. I, I know you've been playing Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, n- now that you're, you've... Well, I won't say you moved on from Cuphead, but Super <laughs> Mario Odyssey is out, and uh, me being me uh i've been observing my twitter timeline uh I-, I said earlier today i'm seeing people loving super mario odyssey well i'm over here just waiting for guacamelee too that got announced today so oh, yeah. h- how has super mario odyssey been for you
1: you know i i've been really rough on nintendo i think in my head anyway um but you know the switch was a really nice uh uh system it was a lot of fun and i was happy to uh you know kind of share custody of it with a friend of mine and uh i i was really pleased with how mario odyssey turned out like i i've been having some issue with like mario 3d world and 3d land because i think they're kind of cluttered and they kind of mix up too much of the gameplay i think that they're just a little bit too much but i think they really got back to um what worked with games like Mario Galaxy and Super Mario Sunshine, and it's funny that we have, like you said, fresh off of Cuphead. There were also games like A Hat in Time, and then, of course, you know the big AAA releases, like everybody was excited for Mario Odyssey. Uh, so you get all these kind of platforming games just kind of coming out in this perfect storm at the, you know, the the end of the the year. And but they're all they're all very. Very fundamentally different, I think. And what I like most about Mario Odyssey is that it's just plain f- fun. It it really feels like you're not just doing what is uh, littered around for you to find. That's what it felt like for the longest time for me with Nintendo, is you're just kind of doing what they want you to do. I'd go over to a friend's house. We'd play Mario 3D World together. And they'd kind of like act like a tour guide and show me where to go. And it be, so you can find all the cool animations and neat little environments that the developers have made. But this really feels more like, you know, you got your free brain and you got like a, a really fun, exciting, well animated, really nice Nintendo Polish adventure. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I can't wait to uh, go over to my friend's house again and, and commandeer that system because I, you know, I like hats and I like platforming. And I, and I really enjoy Mario as a, as a franchise and as a cast of characters. And it looks, plays, and feels really, really nice. So if, if you were on the fence, maybe you were waiting to get a Switch by the time that Mario Odyssey came out, I'd say that, that uh, if they have like a pack available uh, with the game or otherwise, give it a look. I would say absolutely give it a look. Because it was a lot of fun for me. And um you know what when was uh, the first Mario Galaxy 2008 that you know it's we needed another game that was kind of getting back to the the 3D platforming roots at, at least because we've had too many new Super Mario Brothers to count and uh you know you can you can only rehash that for so long it's really really nice to have to have Nintendo not just clutter everything up again so it feels like they're kind of getting back to what makes their franchises work because you know i don't know about you david but this,
0: this sounds very familiar
1: <laughs> planet robobot was really nice Star Fox zero was not it was miserable but it, it looks like for the most part they're really getting what works for their uh for their games but Coming you know you're right fandom,
0: this this feels very familiar <laughs>
1: I'll n- I'll never get over Cuphead I don't think. Like I I feel like this is kind of a little bit too on the nose, like a little bit too much of a crazy fan comment, but um one night last week I woke up out of, you know, just a a, a sweaty stupor. I'm not making this up either. I I was I was late cuz I was drawing and I wake up up in the middle of the night and I actually felt myself tearing up because I realized that Cuphead was a real game that I could play that somebody decided it was necessary to make. And uh that I I don't think I'll ever get over Cuphead to let you know the honest truth, David. So at the risk of sounding kind of weird, I had to tell you that little story. Well, but
0: guacamelee too that is not not dissimilar from how I felt about Sonic Mania. It, it just it was the fact that it wasn't just the fact that i felt that way about sonic the hedgehog but and not just die hard sonic fans felt that way about sonic the hedgehog and like younger sonic fans that were always a little curious about the old 16 bit games getting to play sonic mania it's the fact that there were was an entire world and some really ultra talented developers and music composers that recognized what Sonic Mania could be and what Sonic Forces might be and
1: yeah i get it
0: jack i get it i do
1: and you know that uh, sonic mania inspired me to actually go back and uh play play the uh the classic games and some of the 3d games myself like i'm i'm still doing that that was a project i announced on twitter and i will do that because I think that if so many fan uh fan game uh developers can come together and really show the world that you know you can make a game and and be a be a huge fan of the franchise and hey that might be a good idea for development then you know obviously you got to you got to give that franchise a look and uh yeah it, it's we've just had a great year for games I think it's been fantastic For single player campaign games. But Guacamele, I liked Guacamele a lot. That was a Metroidvania game that I could really wrap my head around. Or uh, my melon around. Can I make a a fruit pun? Because it's Uh, Guacamele. Avocados are fruit. They are.
0: (laughs) They are. They They most certainly are. The first Guacamele game really caught me off guard because, one, it was one of those games that was announced at one of the E3s of some year. It was probably that year where everybody went wildly in love with Sony with how much awesome stuff they put out all at once and how they dove headfirst into the hashtag we love Indie Devs campaign. And Guacamelee was one of the success stories of the early PS4 days. And it was a, a as Jack said, Metroidvania-style Metroidvania platformer, where you played a luchador, a Mexican wrestler with a mask, and <laughs> there were chickens involved. And oh, it was yeah. pretty great. And it was fantastic. Uh, today, at it Paris Game Week... Lots of character
1: week, and great animation.
0: <laughs> yes. Today, at Paris Game Week, Sony announced Guacamelee! 2 coming out, quote... Soon ish unquote. <laughs> Which Soon-ish. I say, eh, good enough. I'll take it. Like I know oh, there yeah. there's some, some other things, but Jack, it's time for old DJM to do something that that doesn't happen very often. Now, Jack, I, I know that okay, you understand what it's like to see a game that you like very much get one weird video game review that gets mutated and wildly blown out of proportion. I know you understand that, Jack.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So,
0: earlier today uh, at Paris Games Week, there was a new trailer for the seminal franchise sequel to The Last of Us. The Last of Us 2. uh And I saw a article about the trailer that came out today that said that it was too violent and that there was violence against women and it was too gruesome and too gory. Now, Jack, for the longest time. Everyone knows old David Majors. Everyone knows old DJM that I always try my hardest to be as respective as possible, as respectful as possible of people's sensibilities and sensitivities about certain things. But even I have my limits. Even I can get to a point where I see a video game reviewer say that a trailer for a game that revolves around a post-apocalyptic setting with monsters that were formerly humans getting killed, and then a Walking Dead-style character drama where human beings are as monstrous as the creatures themselves, even I get to a point where I see a video game reviewer and I have to say, shut the fuck up up it is a video game that is violent by design it is graphic it is gory it is tvma did you play the first last of us game have you ever watched the walking dead have you read the comic books shut up and this is me folks david not anybody else this is me saying this Okay? Even I have my breaking points where I just have to say, okay, yeah, now you're being too sensitive, and I'm the one saying this. Okay? The Last of Us 2 is going to be an amazing, emotional, visceral experience that is going to be... Probably the 2018 Game of the Year. I'm I'm already saying that right now. It's a good chance that's going to be 2018's Game of the Year. Unless not something happens at Naughty Dog that is just utterly disastrous. <laughs> and for people to start saying that it might be a little too gruesome and the trailer was a little too over the top, it was like when people were complaining about The finale of season six and the first episode of the seventh season of The Walking Dead, where straight from the comic, frame for frame, Negan (laughs) killed Glenn. And it was graphic and it was gory and it was bloody and it was gross. Of course it was. The point was that this was a major main character being absolutely obliterated by an antagonist you are supposed to hate. That was the point. That reaction you're feeling where you are uncomfortable at the sight of the violence of this character you care about is supposed to get that reaction from you. Just like in this trailer of The Last of Us 2 where you see, yes, this woman is hanging from a tree and another woman is has a knife at her stomach. It is supposed to make you uncomfortable. It is supposed to be violent. It is supposed to be visceral. And then a few seconds later, there's some more things. And in the age of 1080p and 4K TVs, we see things that are pretty violent and graphic and gory. Because that's what the game is. That is what it is. Hello, everybody. That's what it's supposed to be. And yes, in Wolfenstein 2, you kill Nazis. You punch Nazis. Thank fucking God.
1: It's a good time. You don't want to play that game? And in The Last of Us 2, there are terrible people. Just
0: like in The Walking Dead, where there are the monsters you have to worry about, but there are also people you have to worry about. So
1: even I have, even so I have
0: my limits. Even, even I, Jack, have to come to a point where I say, okay, you need to calm the fuck
1: down. You know, David, that if if the, if it were a trailer with uh, two men in the same situation, they would go, oh, this is just proving that men are violent. It's a 50-50 chance of it's just a lose-lose situation. Like, people's sensibilities are... You know what? This reminds me of an ad campaign. Uh, Do you remember the Your Mom Hates Dead Space ad campaign? Where they got these nice, sweet, middle-aged ladies to come in and take a look at some gameplay for Dead Space. I don't remember exactly which one. I just remember that the Your Mom Hates Dead Space ad campaign was, was very interesting. They won't need to find sweet old ladies to do this anymore because they can just grab random schmoes off of the internet and go, Hey, are you mad? Look at this and get more mad. Come the fuck on, people. Y- you know what you're getting into when it comes to The Last of Us. You know, there, there's just a set of, of expectations that you have from this kind of story. And I'm with you, David. I am, I think the. Like it is absolutely no reason. To, there is a hundred percent reason to get mad at these kind of people because you're basically missing the entire point of a style of media of a horror genre that has really come to talk to us about various it posits several questions in all manner of media of what it means to be human. You know, zombies zombies are all all about that it's about our fear of death and our fear of what people will do and especially looking at the, the walking dead tv show and even the game which i had the uh, fortune to play it makes no sense to me why these people are missing the fucking point this badly and i'm ashamed to to be part of the same group of people I'm ashamed to be the same species as these kind of people who are missing the fucking point.
0: I will say that I'm that hoping sucks. that this this one think piece is an outlier. Uh, kind of like mm-hmm. I, how I was telling you, that one review that I saw about Cuphead being a <laughs> difficult game. Yeah.
1: Because it seems After, like a lot of people really upon took that further to review, said- Nah.
0: (laughs) Upon further review, the Metacritic score for Cuphead currently is 89. So,
1: And I don't see any proletariat out my door telling me that I'm filthy bourgeoisie because I A-ranked the game. I'm still not seeing that. So, looks like we're in the clear there, and I'm hoping for your sake and for the sake of fucking zombie fiction that this is this is just an outlier as well because it's absolutely fucking about the violence and the brutality of what people are going to do in these kinds of situations. The whole first m- game you're playing as a shithead who's just trying to make it, it. Come on. This whole episode is just come on people. The podcast. <laughs> come on Miyazaki. Come on people. Come on internet. It's-
0: at the point. And once again, even, even me, even old DJM has his breaking point with some of this stuff. So even I'm in this situation saying, you know what? Okay, th- this, is, this is too far. I think you're really, really missing yeah. it. And you you need to back down.
1: I, I feel like people aren't playing video games anymore. They're just learning about them and reading up on them and watching cursory very very fringe level amounts of information to make some kind of some kind of weird controversial statement no one's playing video games anymore they're just making one other
0: one other thing with the first trailer came out the devs at naughty dog said that the last of us two will revolve around hate and the main character ellie's sense of hatred so yeah, this is this is what you have to expect going in. This is going I, to be a very ugly visceral experience.
1: I never saw anybody make these kinds of upsetting and and stupid overly sensitive comments about Lisa the Painful. Another great game revolving around hate and abuse and, you know, that kind of visceral stuff. But then a game again that game is funny as hell. Uh you know, that being said, you should play Lisa the Painful. It's on Steam and it's also very similar thematically. But you know what, David? Uh I've been thinking about this kind of this time of year and about what people are afraid of and how it reflects in media and movies and that kind of thing. And uh a little bit of research, a little bit of trolling around the the YouTubes, and I found this phenomenon, David, and I, I thought we could give it a little try. Uh, a lot of YouTube reviewers, a lot of animation aficionados, and even yourmoviesucks.org kind of uh, started this phenomenon of talking about their very personal, very visceral childhood fears in things such as movies and television and animation. And their very subjective, very... Uh, personal stories and videos and I highly recommend taking a look for these childhood trauma segments if they interest you uh, people because I think that takes a lot of risk these days to make a a personal uh, statement like that on what is one of the most impersonal platforms Uh, you know internet review you you just kind of you know you go out there and just say that's just my opinion but I I thought that was an interesting phenomenon and David I wanted to uh give us the opportunity to do the same thing since it seems appropriate for the holiday uh so if you want to start that's more than welcome but uh you know maybe I can get the ball rolling and we can just talk a, a couple rounds back and forth about uh what in our childhood or you know our past that we've found in media to really stick with us and you know uh kind of haunt us almost i thought that'd be a really interesting way to uh to round ourselves out what do you say jack jack
0: i think this sounds like a fascinating idea and i'd like you to lead it off
1: all right well i thought i'd start with uh something kind of heavy first off uh a really visceral one that stuck with me but uh david there's this there's this movie called the iron giant you know little known movie probably never heard of it it's uh you know just a really great piece of storytelling, but uh you know I've really come to appreciate it more over the past few years. But there's one thing that really stuck with me that I just can't ever find myself watching, and it's not because the animation isn't spellbinding or that the story isn't gripping. But in the first few parts of the movie, the the young boy Hogarth Hughes, who's eventually going to befriend a giant stories tall. Uh, metallic man who will then become the source of much fear he's uh he's promising his mom he's not gonna stay up late and watch movies and eat junk food and then of course gilligan cut later he's eating wonder bread stuffed with whipped cream and twinkies and he's watching a horror movie and credit where credit's due they do a really good job of making this a very a very uh kitschy kind of black and white B movie experience because this is Cold War era we're talking about uh for this for this movie. So they wanted to really capture that kind of cheesy uh overacting uh was popular then. And uh they do a really good job but what they didn't realize that they were doing an even better job of was scaring the shit out of a young Jack because it's surrounding this this plot of this movie within the movie is about uh this man who's the mind reader and it almost feels like uh Steve Martin's The Man with Two Brains was very similar in plot to this like they might have been a little bit inspired by it but uh this man is taking brains and uh he's doing some kind of experiment with them to uncover the secrets of the human mind and everybody voice acting and the, the character animation and everything is just silly. It really feels like this shouldn't be silly to you or this shouldn't be scary to you. But, uh, he drops a a brain out of the jar. He goes, darn a perfectly good brain wasted. And then as they leave, the camera stays where the brain was laying on the ground and it starts to slide away like a slug and then the next time that you see the movie screen uh hogarth turns away for a while the next time that they turn to the screen you see the man being devoured by the the brain and uh tentacles are lashing out everywhere and that's just the music they were using very psycho uh alfred hitchcock string slant, you know ring 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 and uh that just sticks in the head of you know a young kid who's just trying to watch a a fun and funny movie about the relationship of a boy and his robot so it it's it's that kind of thing the kind of the sounds and the sights that will really just stick with you and make you turn the light on at night sometimes and just go god that that was really intense so what about you david you got anything like that from uh from any kind of media some a movie or something that really really shocked you or stuck with you over the years?
0: Well, I was going to go in a more of a psychological direction uh, as opposed to more of a kind of a terror direction. But now you've got my brain spinning, so I might come back to that. But the first thing that really came to mind was and I won't go with the most obvious choice and say the movie Get Out. That that's kind of a no brainer.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, pun intended.
0: Yeah. That that God. that one's obvious. But I remember growing up uh and I might have been and not like a an adult, but probably 17 or 18, but it was the first time I saw any kind of animation and it's something that's more common in anime than anywhere else uh it wasn't akira it, it was the second pat labor movie uh as a lot of people know pat labor mm-hmm. the anime was a bit more on the lighthearted side but the films were very action very very serious one of them was directed by one of my favorite directors mamoru oshi and the end of the movie, uh, ter- it turned out to be a suspect uh, in a crime they were investigating had cancer, um, but he also was able to. And, and I'm kind of pulling this from memory, so forgive me if it's not totally correct. Uh, there was there were some supernatural happenings, and it turned out at in the third act of this movie, uh, the police ended up investigating your, th- and this was the very first time I'd ever seen a kind of indescribable, gelatinous, eldritch abomination, nightmarish, anime kind of monster, if you've seen Akira, if you've seen basically any kind of horror anime, where the monster is just this blob of eyes and shapes and things. And I remember seeing this and being just horrified that This kind of thing would spawn from someone's mind and how well animated it was and how detailed it was. And the incredibly fascinating thing about this is that they said that it was created from cancer cells. And the thing about cancer cells is that they mutate, they metastasize, they grow, and they could be anything. Uh, They could create a tumor out of anything, and that's what this did. And they, they also mentioned that the, the person, the organism that this had grown from had already died. So what this was, was essentially a out of control, monstrous, cancerous growth that was just mutating out of control on a level that was just unfathomable to me so the fact that it had that little connection of something that was actually realistic in the medical field of metastasizing cancer cells and attaching that to this crazy monstrous thing that was on the screen it was very very haunting and very disturbing
1: that does I don't mean to make light of that, but, um, uh, if you ever, if you ever find yourself just kind of, uh cancer, uh, don't ever forget the, uh, the, the Norm Macdonald bit where he talks about his, uh, his uncle losing his battle with bowel cancer because you can't just die anymore. You, you have to battle for your life when it comes with cancer, but does the cancer win? I'm pretty sure the cancer dies at the same time as the host. So does the cancer just get up and go, "All right, how you doing? My name's cancer. I work here now for for Uncle Uncle Roderick." So if you ever it's get Pat worried folks, pokes- Pat Labor 3. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh I think I'll go with an anime example for this upcoming one. Um and you you're right. Anime is no stranger from uh fleshy monstrosities or uh shying away from from death and such. I think of even things like Sailor Moon uh, characters would be drained of their, their life force and reduced to skeletal bits. But, uh, one, this is a little bit, maybe adolescence, uh, not necessarily childhood, but, um, I, I remember the movie paprika and, uh, you know, back to Satoshi Mm. Kon, a really great film. And, uh, I believe it predates inception. I think we'd had this discussion before that, um, It's an entirely different, very Japanese uh, sensibility to telling this kind of story of entering dreams. And uh, the visuals and the sound and everything cinema-wise for this movie is very, very uh, inclined to have a very unsettling uh, fashion to it. The music is haunting and you have uh, many empty scenes where there's a lot of motionless moments right before some uh some swift movements it's very much like a dream and i i uh can't uh express how expertly done that is to make it very similar to that kind of a dream aspect because i feel people uh when they work for that in film they will aspire to making it dreamlike but they won't always hit the nail on the head and i think that this uh animated feature paprika was very very close if not on the head to people's kind of primal experiences but i remember distinctly um a couple scenes from this that do still when i think of paprika i still go mm, and i maybe uh wince a little bit when i do watch it and uh have to turn away a little so this bit this
0: was one that i that i actually did get to see in theaters as well paprika oh yes paprika yes
1: so so you're a little bit fresh on this and um the the obviously the uh the fellow the victim who fell fell down and uh the the dream uh visor device that was used to enter the dreams was burrowing into his his head was obviously a really a really shocking and uh Very fluidly animated and very uh, particularly gory experience. But also, I just remember, and I do like this scene now, I very much like this scene now, but I remember the very first time I was watching um, that very odd uh, parade when they first enter that that dream world and really show you the scope of um, what this environment is like and that very bizarre kind of marching music starts. And the old man is, you know, riding down with this crazy Obon festival of things that shouldn't ever move under any kind of grace of God. Just this this massive amount of inanimate objects with this really unsettling, this doesn't feel like music kind of music. Uh, that very first time of seeing that parade, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty frightening. I, I have a couple. uh that I'm going to share in our little uh, round table here of uh, it always feels like people say, you know, uh, I wish I could see my favorite movie again for the first time. But with these kinds of experiences, I'm able to distance myself more from the, from the very visceral uh, initial experience of it after all these years. So it it definitely isn't something that even though it's a remarkable movie, uh, I wouldn't want to watch Paprika again for the first time because I think I'd still have that kind of a mm, reaction to um, various various scenes like that. But again, I think it just uh, it goes to show you that they they made a very uh, a very subconsciously unnerving kind of experience with that film.
0: I think because I got to see Paprika in the theaters. I got a really good appreciation of the visual spectacle of it all because I know exactly the feeling you're getting you're getting at. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I could say to you is imagine that feeling (laughs) watching it on a in a movie theater on a large movie theater screen. It gets, and you're just in the you're literally out, engulfed <laughs> you're engulfed by that dream world and it is <laughs> incredible and terrifying at the same time it, yes. it is a very strange yet incredible experience
1: yeah it, it certainly is i watched it right at the end of uh You know, people categorizing me as a kid and, uh, you know, they think, oh, animations for kids. So you think a, a movie about a dream world will be a very good thing to watch. Not really. No, sir. I mean, it is for certain. I, like I said, definitely come to appreciate these more as time goes on. But wow. Wow. All right, then back to you, David.
0: Okay, I'm going to give something a little bit more recent. Uh, okay. One of my favorite TV shows uh, in recent years, uh, Mr. Robot. N- no secret, everyone knows I love this show. If you know me, I think this is a fantastic sci-fi, tech, thriller type of show revolving around uh, the main character, Elliot Alderson. Uh, I've said to many, many people, uh, that if you want to get an idea of what it is like being a 30-year-old male dealing with depression and loneliness in our modern day, watch season one of Mr. Robot. Because you see Elliot struggling with his sanity, which he doesn't seem to be doing very well, Whether it's loneliness, whether it's anxiety, whether it's having to self-medicate to try and cope. When I was watching the first season of Mr. Robot, uh, the reason I said that this was scary was because there were many elements of it where it was like looking in a mirror and I saw my own struggles and my own fears being bounced right back at me, and it was the most intensely raw and genuine television experience that I can remember in a very long time, because there was so much about it that they got right, whether it was Having that battle inside of your own head. Uh, this is what I meant by psychological horror. Uh, the battle inside of your own head. Uh, the battle of going out into the world and seeing how terrible it is, not just for yourself, but for everyone. Uh, whether you want to associate with people or not, you know that everyone is suffering Everyone is having some strife, and that kind of cosmic level of anxiety and fear is weighing down on you. And then when you come home, it's empty, it's quiet, and you just have to do everything in your power to have noise going so you're not stuck there with Silence and how much that can drive you over the edge. Uh, there, there is an episode of Mr. Robot in season two where Elliot is taking Adderall. And because he's so mentally fragile, he goes through an episode where he throws up and then later on he actually picks through his, his vomit to find the Adderall and swallows it again because he's so far mentally gone that he he doesn't know whether he wants to quell his problems or if he wants to try and endure them and endure what's happening in his head to complete the task that he has to do in the series with the hacking and everything. So I've said to everyone if you really want to get an idea of what I and probably many others like me have endured season one of Mr. Robot, the first four or five episodes of season one is a pretty good picture.
1: You know, uh, I made a recent comment on my Twitter about how people will just kind of tell me I have to watch, uh, a Netflix show, and I was on the fence about Mr. Robot because I do know that that is uh, something that you speak very highly of, and uh, you know, a lot of times I I do need something in the in the background to listen to while I'm drawing, and you know, I think. Just hearing that description, I think, without you having ever really explicitly said, you need to watch this. Let this be a lesson to you guys. Take notes. This is how you uh, show somebody that something is good. You don't tell them they have to watch it because that feels like homework. I think I may give it a shot the next time I'm looking for something to watch.
0: How the tables have
1: turned. It sure has. Because
0: because I remember way, 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 way back in the day where I remember a certain someone, I I asked someone a a question, and I believe that question was, why should I tell me a little bit about this show the kids were talking about called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? (laughs) And uh, I remember someone having... Having a pretty, a pretty, how do I put this, a almost hostile reaction
1: to my question. <laughs> I'm sure I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that I think this is something that the internet f- forgets. Very frequently when it befits them to dock somebody or terrorize someone based on their uh, political opinions or their past transgressions or everything. But people change. People change. And I've realized that it makes no sense to tell somebody that they have to do something, uh, knowing how it How it has uh, been and you know the uh, as more as time goes by realizing how valuable time is and that you don't always get to sit down and play the games that you want or do the things that you want to do because there's just so much time that's stretched thin. So let this be a lesson to you folks while we're talking about our existential terror that uh, people do change their minds and their outlooks on expressing how they enjoy their media we'll we'll see how Mr. Robot goes All you're right. on the this- th-
0: then when <laughs> then we can talk about into the badlands
1: yes uh you're talking about psychological terror and i do uh I do actually think of something also so pretty recent um actually fairly recent uh, thanks to a friend of mine I'm kind of uh sharing netflix uh custody with them they're allowing me to just kind of chip in when I may and uh, it's been really helpful and again this is something that's obvious to people who know me is I really I really love Fraser. Uh it's it's a fun like I have said to people it's it's still pretty timeless it still holds up in a lot of ways save for one that I won't get in, into now but we may in a future podcast uh, and I know it's always kind of hit or miss when it comes to people about what their favorite 90s sitcom is. But I remember the first time I was watching a very particular episode. I had just come back to it just recently while I was uh, inking up for Inktober. And uh, it really reminded me of my first time thinking about these kinds of existential questions. There's a very pivotal uh, episode mid-series for Frasier. And this is an 11-season show. Uh, where Frazier is given the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Seattle Seavies, who are a, a radio award show, and he's he's very apprehensive because he's you know he's around forty, he's a you know a middle aged man, and he is realizing that there was a lot he wanted to do with his life, and even though it is a great honor, and he realizes that the honor in having a lifetime. Time Achievement Award is great. he just kind of gets stuck on the the realization that they're awarding him for a lifetime that he doesn't feel is whole yet, and obviously he's having some trouble with dating because what ninety sitcom doesn't have that and uh he talks to his mentor he actually goes and visits his uh his old mentor who inspired him to be a psychiatrist and He has him sit down, uh, the mentor has Fraser sit down and says, okay, if you can't figure out what's wrong with you, then why don't you ask him? And he basically gives him a mock impression of uh, being a caller on his own radio show, because that's what Fraser does, he's a radio psychiatrist. So he's talking to himself uh, while his mentor watches, and, and he has this big long pause and says, even though I'm... Uh, honored to have this award i feel empty and and he sits there and he rephrases the problem he tries to stall he tries all different kinds of things and his mentor is telling him you know you're, you're just making tricks you're just having all these psychiatric tricks up your sleeve and he he ends up shouting at his mentor he tells him that's all i have and without a word the rest of the scene is very, very quiet, very somber. And I just remember this sticking with me is he he motions back to the chair where his imaginary self is waiting for him to help him with his emptiness. And he says, I'm sorry, caller. I can't help you. And uh, for the entirety of that scene, this is one of those shows, you know, uh, the 90s sitcom that had a laugh track and everything. This entire scene was very, very silent. There, there was not a lot of, um, you know, humorous moments, not a lot of holds for laughter. Every pause that they had was just filled with this very, very sad, very, very quiet, uh, thoughtful silence. And I think I was 12 when I first saw this episode, and that's when I was really starting to realize um, you know, I liked the show. I thought it was funny and filled with a lot of uh, silly, risque moments and some farce and misunderstandings. But that was a moment where I realized people uh, people can have what seems like it all. You know, the proverbial it all. He's got it all. She's got it all. And they can never... Sometimes that isn't enough. Sometimes you're un- unfulfilled. And, uh, and sometimes it you know, no matter how happy a person can seem on the outside, it, it doesn't really amount to anything. And just having these existential moments of, you know, you're not meant to do anything. You, you can, you can have all the possibility in the world and you can still screw up, uh, was a very, very pivotal moment, I think, in kind of, uh, you know, making the stride to, to growing up and, uh, really thinking for myself. Because, you know, before you're 12, you don't really start to have an opinion. And I don't really feel like I have a fully fledged opinion even now. And, you know, that's 11 years later. Uh, but we'll see. That's definitely something that, um, you know, from something so lighthearted, so seemingly unexpected, I think has, you know, kind of a similar thing. And I don't feel, though, like Mr. Robot for David, that that's uh. Any- Anywhere near as, uh, as a personal connection to me. I don't feel as if I share a lot with Kelsey Grammer, except for maybe talking too much while wearing headphones into a microphone. But uh, it sticks with you, I think. These kinds of things that not just the, the scary images in your head, not just the frightening monsters, but also what these monsters mean and uh, the kind of thoughts that can get in your head when they're first introduced to you.
0: and all right. That, that was, that was good. That was really good. I think so.
1: This is an interesting segment. I was interested to see how uh, this would turn out. And I think we've hit the nail on the head, David. And I'd like to know what people out there uh, have been holding with them for their, for their lifetimes. I'd like to know what is, is really getting in the, the craw of people and, you know, makes them sit up at night and think, God, so, um, David, where can we find? Uh, where can these nice people find us to let them know of their own childhood traumas? Well,
0: I'm glad you asked, Jackson. I believe we can follow you on the tweeters'water water at Jack D. Tyler D. Uh, your Twitter handle is still—it's not Dr. Junkenstein, I presume anymore, is it? On the Tumblr's? Uh-
1: uh Tumblr, yep, Tumblr is still Dr. Junkenstein, I presume, and it's still basically a dump hole for my Instagram right now. So if you want wanna be a little bit more on the ball with that and maybe actually catch me on an image-based website, you can find me at Rock Behind the Wheel at Instagram. And uh, I put Inktober up there as well, and a lot of pictures from I, from my trip. I've got pictures up there, and a couple more extra pictures that I didn't put on Twitter of my cuphead costume, which I lovingly crafted. And what about you, David? Where are you?
0: Well, if you would be so kind, I'm at just call me DJM Mike dot com. I'm on at just call me DJM on lots of different places, Twitter. Tumblr, NaNoWriMo, bum, bum, bum. hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's all well, just Tommy DJM? Yeah, NaNoWriMo. We'll have, to, ta- yeah, well, NaNo- we'll have Rymo. to talk
0: about that too. We'll have to talk about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. I'm uh, Jack Nicolor on uh, NaNoWriMo, and that's color with a U because I'm pretentious. But you knew that already.
0: That's why I keep him around, folks. Yep. And of course, you can subscribe <laughs> in iTunes, subscribe in Stitcher, subscribe wherever podcasts can be aggregated. And as always, check out The Mothership, if you will, at DeltaJuliaMike.com. Thank you so much for listening to the anime podcast of some sort. I'll be back soon with Yomacon stories, and that should be fun.
1: Say goodnight, Jackson. Good night, Jackson, and sleep well, everybody. <laughs>